Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. God, thank you that you are here. We've talked about your presence. We know that you are here. We know that you're in the home of each person that's joining us online. We know that you are with each one of us. You are Emmanuel, God, with us. Now, God, we pray that you would help our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes to be with you. God, tune us, Lord, into your presence. Lord, help us to to just embrace you, to see you more clearly. God, help us to hear your word. God, I pray for a supernatural touch on each one of our ears that we would hear your word. Your word is transforming, your word is life. So God, we invite you. We uh, again just say, God, here I am. Have your way. And we pray this so that you would be glorified so that all that we say, think, and do would point to you. You would get the credit for every good thing because you are a God who is good. You're the author, you're the giver of every perfect gift. And we love you, we praise you. We continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So we are continuing in our journey through John, and it is an incredible journey as we're seeking to know Jesus more. And we've talked about this throughout, that the knowledge that we're talking about is not a head knowledge. Yes, we need to grow in our understanding. But when we're talking about knowing Jesus, it's a heart connection. It's coming close and becoming more and more one with Jesus, the Son of God. And as we're journeying through here, it's beautiful to hear how the Lord speaks. And I've seen, I'm sure you have too, that there are many recurring themes that we've seen, uh, things that have been stated and and done and are stated again. And the reason is, is that we need to hear over and over again. We need to experience God um, in similar ways over and over again. Because it often takes us, um, I think it always takes us time before we really get it. And then once we get it, there's more to get. So, um, so what we're going to do, again, is continue our journey. I want to just point back to last week and uh, re- really appreciated all that, uh, that Phil shared. And he was speaking um, primarily, I loved what he said. He said the first words of the text of the passage that he was to share just literally jumped out to him and grabbed his heart. And this is um, in, in John chapter 12. And I do want to encourage you if you have, again, your Bibles or if you have an electronic device, I really want to encourage you to be following along the text. We're going to be moving around a little bit and won't all be on the screen. Uh, so I do want to encourage you to have, uh, have the scripture out and available. But we're in John chapter 12 and in verse 27. Jesus' words are this. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose... I have come to this hour, Father, glorify your name. And Phil did such, such a wonderful job of just really pointing us to understanding in a greater way that when Jesus gave out this cry, now my soul is troubled, it helped us to see the humanity of Christ. And that Jesus, while he was on earth, he, he was 100% God and 100% man. And it's hard for us to understand that it's part of this mystery. It's, it's like the ministry, mystery of the Trinity. There's things that we can grasp and understand, and part of it is beyond our understanding. 
Uh, but as Phil pointed, pointed uh, us to this last week is that, that he was fully man, that he had the feelings. He, he went through the struggles that we face. And when we understand and embrace the humanity of Jesus, it takes us into a deeper relationship where I know that Jesus has walked where I walk. He's experienced what I experience. He's been tempted and tested in the ways that I am tempted and, and, and tested. That makes him a faithful high priest because he knows what we go through. You know, if there's any part of your life that you're saying God doesn't know, I want to challenge that. I believe he does. I believe he knows intimately. Because of that, he's a faithful high priest who will intercede for us before the throne. So as we saw the humanity of Christ, that he was fully man, this week we're going to be pointing to the, the deity of Christ, Jesus being fully God. And just as I was looking at these two passages together, I just kind of saw these bookends, and we're going to look at that. But, but last week, I really feel like that message was pointing us to help us to see our worth to Jesus. As we look at, at, at the humanity of Christ, I believe as we look at the deity of Christ, we're called to, uh, to see Jesus' worth to us. That we're called to, to see just how amazing he is, just how great he is, and what that means in our lives personally. going out on a limb a little bit here because I'm going to um, share what I think God's going to lead us to at the end of the service. I believe at the end of the service and, and whenever we prepare, whether it's teaching or, uh, or music, we prepare, we study, we, we pray, we listen, we, we practice, we do those things, and then we say, God, here, have your way. Do with it what you want. So God may change this, so I'm not saying this is a prophetic word, but I do want you to be prepared. At the end of the service, I believe there will be two invitations. One invitation will be for those who are not in relationship with God to come to him through Jesus Christ. I believe the second invitation will be for those of us who are saved to seek the presence of God and hear him giving us a call to go out. So again, I put it out there, be open to it, and I'm gonna be open to whether or not God's gonna lead us to that place, but those are two things that have really been on my heart for this service. And I wanna begin uh, this teaching with two stories. One is a story from the life of Christ, and one is a story that's uh, touched my life very, uh, very deeply. Uh, the story from the life of Christ is one that comes to my mind very, very often. It's a story that's, rec- that's recorded in the three synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, And it's a story of a rich young ruler who comes to Christ. That rich young ruler comes to Christ with a question. Well, first he addresses him as good teacher, and and there's some conversation around that, but the question is this, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when I thought about that, this this man was rich. I don't think he was concerned about the inheritance here on this level. He was gonna be leaving inheritance, but what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' first response was, well, keep the commandments. And Jesus listed a number of the Ten Commandments. And, and the rich young ruler responded, I've done that since I, was, since I was young. And then Jesus says these words that are so piercing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. 
Jesus, you're asking a lot. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I really think that the man probably came to him with some humility even to ask the questions, but also some confidence. That Jesus is probably gonna say, oh, you've got it already. But the challenging words of Jesus were, go sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and follow me. And scripture describes this response. His face fell. He went away sad because he had much. I've often looked at that and I think how sad that all the riches that that man had, had him. And then I look in the mirror and I get concerned because he had many riches that were a block to Christ. Do I have lesser things that can be a block to Christ? This isn't, I hope this is not a heaping of condemnation. I just we want to have discussion with the Spirit. There's a second story I want to share. This touches my life very closely. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I shared, you, uh, shared with you a story of uh, a week 20 years ago. I'm moving more into modern times. This was probably about 15 years ago. <laughs> but there's a young lady very, very dear to my heart and to my wife, to our family. and um, She was about 20 years old. She came to stay with us for a day or two. And the reason she came was that her life was not in a good place. Um, she had grown up in the church and had been um, raised in a godly environment. Um, she was uh, you know, led to faith and I believe was pursuing faith in her life. So she hit a certain place in her teen- teenage years and just started going down a different road. Um, she was making a lot of decisions that were very much against God and God's best for her and what was best, what was best for her own life. And, um, and what was cool is that, that God brought her into our house again for a day or two and, and just, uh, she was kind of open just to allow us to speak into her life. This one conversation, I remember we were, we were in the kitchen and uh, it, was, it was just so vivid. You know, we were talking about, you know, you, you know what, what you need to do. You know what's good for you. You know, you know, you know the love of God and his plan. And her response is, yeah, but it's hard. And that just resonated with me. It's like, you know what? You're right. It's hard to follow God's way. It's it's a difficult thing, but the thing is, is that when we do the hard stuff first, (laughs) and we hang on to doing the hard stuff, even when it gets harder, we find life. You know, the easy way is the way of sin and going against God. I mean, that's, man, I don't have to do anything. I mean, just kind of go with the flow, follow the flesh, go with the culture. That's the easy way, but there's a lot of hard that follows that. And that hard can last for eternity. But that conversation just came back to me. And I think it's important that we acknowledge it's hard. It is hard to follow Jesus. So these are some responses to the gospel. And we've seen it throughout where there's a mixed bag as far as when when Jesus gives a word, when he gives challenges, there are some that believe and then some don't. And we're gonna see that again in in today's uh, passages. What I'd like us to do is, again, we said that if you go 
1227, we see the humanity of Christ. I want to jump down to the, the last section in the chapter, and we want to look at the deity of Christ. So I'd like to, uh, to invite you to turn with me or to, to read on the screen. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 44 and going through the end of the chapter through verse 50. We're looking at the deity of Christ, that God was fully man and he's fully God. Jesus' uh, words here says that he cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to the world, come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So in this passage, we're gonna have three groups of statements. In this passage, I believe that it's clear that Jesus is declaring that Jesus is God. Response is that man must find eternal life in him. There's no other way. And this is the foundation. Jesus is God. Man must find eternal life in him. This is the foundation. Now this is the foundation of this teaching, but it's the foundation of of, of all of humanity. Embracing the reality that Jesus is God and that he is the only way to eternal life. So what we're gonna do is go down through these uh, these verses and just touch on each one and look at, at, at what God is revealing to us this morning through this passage. So this passage right here is a transition from, again, we've talked about the, the way that the book of John is, um, is summarized by different scholars. And the two primary sections of the book of John are the first, uh, there's, there's a prologue, but then there's the, the book of signs, which we are concluding now as we come to the end of chapter 12. And we're transitioning into the book of glory, which is going to be, uh, again, chapters 13 up through uh, chapter 20. So this is a transitional statement, and it's interesting that, that how it starts. Um, if, you, if you go back a little bit in, in a text, in verse 36, Jesus hid himself, okay? Now, Jesus had just been very, very public when he had come into town on, on, the, on a donkey on the, at the triumphal entry. He had been very public, not fearful, but through this last week of Jesus' life, we see him moving in different phases, and earlier again in verse 36, it said he hid himself. Now we have him making a very, very bold public proclamation. And when it says that he cried out, that's the same term that was used in, twice in John chapter seven, but it's a bold proclamation declaration to a crowd. Now the thing is in, verse, um, in this verse 44, it's saying that he cried out and said, but we don't know who he was speaking to, where it was at, or exactly what the timing was, except we know that we're in the last couple days prior to his death. And I believe that John probably specifically made this um, undefined because the proclamation that he makes is basically a summary of of his life and ministry. And it's a proclamation that goes out to all of us. John uh, John the Apostle, again, is writing as inspired by the Holy Spirit and is giving the summary, this wrap-up of Jesus' life in his last public declaration recorded in John. And as we go down through the verses, we see this. 
Verse 44, uh, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Jesus has been doing this over and over again. He's saying like, the Father, the Heavenly Father and I are one. So if you believe in me, you're not believing in me, you're believing in the one who sent me because we are the same. I mean, there is no difference. I am deity, Jesus is God. Very, very clear declaration. And then this incredible, I I, I get overwhelmed at this. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. In John 1.18, scripture says that no one has seen the Father. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, I am the revelation of him. And when I look at Jesus' life, it's not just a life that was lived 2,000 years ago, and okay, this is how God lives as a human. Yes, that is true. But Jesus is saying, when you look at me, you're seeing him, I am that revelation of the Father. You wanna see God? Look at my life. And then he goes on to talk about, again, the things that he has said. We're gonna get to that in a minute. Verse 46, again, not a new declaration, but a summary. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus' declaration, I am the light of the world. And we see again throughout John how he talks about being light. And what does that light do? It removes darkness from our lives. We need light desperately. And there is only one light. His name is Jesus. Amen. Verses 47 and 48, we're gonna take these two together. Now Jesus talks about his purpose and, and, and there are other scriptures, we've even looked at it, where he talks about he, he, that he comes for judgment. Here he's unpacking how that judgment plays out. Because he says in verse 47, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Remember that Jesus came to offer himself. We sang that about his sacrifice. He came to save the world. He said that he, I came not to condemn the world, but that the world may have life through me. But he said, I, do not, I did not come to judge, but to save. But verse 48, listen to this. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus is here sharing this accountability that when we have heard, we have a choice whether we receive or reject that word. When we receive that word, we find light, we find life. We reject that word, that word will not leave. (laughs) We are accountable and will be judged by the very word that we rejected. So as long as we're here, we have the opportunity to allow the word of God to save us. But there will be a day when we stand before God and that very word that many people have rejected will then become their judge. Jesus said again then in verse 49 and 50, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself, has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. You wanna hear the word of God? Read the red letters. It's, this is God speaking. Every word that Jesus said was from the mouth of God. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say therefore, I say as the Father has told me. 
It is his desire not that we would reject his word, but that we find eternal life through his word. In John 17, 3, we're going to be getting to this in a little bit. It says, this is eternal life. That they know you, this is Jesus' prayer, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is God. Man must find eternal life in him. This is our foundation. So now we're going to move up a little bit in the passage, and we're going to look at uh, this next group of Scripture, beginning with verse 37. John 12, verse 37 says this. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he, had done so, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. In this passage, I believe that is saying that Jesus is revealed to mankind. We must faithfully share him. This is our commission. We're going to unpack this some more, but, but again, this declaration that Jesus is revealed to mankind. We must faithfully share him. This is our commission. Verse 37, just to look back again, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And John is saying that what we've, we have witnessed over and over and over again in the unbelief of the people is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. This rejection of the word of God by the people is the fulfillment of what was prophesied by Isaiah. And what we're going to do is look at those two prophecies and we're going to unpack what, what is saying because again, these prophecies are pointing back to what has already been written. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 53, which is where the prophecy in verse 38 come from, and came from. And we're looking at the prophecy in Isaiah 6, which is where um, the, the prophecy in verse 40, 1240 comes from. So if you have your Bibles, again, I would encourage you to, uh, to turn especially to Isaiah chapter six. We're gonna to touch on 53 uh, just briefly, but this is the first prophecy again in verse 38 um, that, that John is saying people haven't believed, and this is fulfilling what Isaiah said. And Isaiah said this in verse, ver, or chapter 53, verse one. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now I wanna give you the next two verses and encourage you to read uh, through this chapter. It's not a long chapter, but a powerful chapter. Isaiah 53 is, is, is a chapter that's often called the, the suffering servant. And if we go on again, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Goes on to say, he grew up, this is all about Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
This prophecy is about the suffering servant who is Jesus. And as we read this, this prophecy, we're looking at an incredible painting of the picture of the cross. We're looking at the suffering, him, him being, Jesus being given for our transgressions. But as you listen to what I just said, it's all pointing to the humanity of Christ that even as a human, there was nothing about him that was desirable. There was nothing that we would look at him and say, yes, I want him. So the prophecy of his rejection is foretold by Isaiah 53. So we're gonna move now to Isaiah chapter six. In Isaiah chapter six, we have this verse, verse 10, is a prophecy that is shared at least five other times in the New Testament. All three of the synoptic gospels refer to this prophecy, Isaiah 6.10, and then in Romans and Acts is also stated. So again, this is a, a pretty common prophecy that, that's referenced in the New Testament. In the gospels, it's actually referenced in, in regards to when Jesus is talking about parables, that in parables, I'm gonna speak, but they're not gonna understand. You're gonna see how it ties in to this passage. But I wanna do a, a very, very brief running commentary down through this chapter. And I really felt drawn, again, it was one chapter that was, uh, that was quoted in John from this chapter, but I just felt drawn to this chapter. And, and as we unpack it, we're gonna understand what I just shared about, uh, about the revelation of Christ and about how that is a commissioning, is that we must share him. We're called to share him. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, just please listen closely. I'm, I'm gonna be reading just passages and then sharing a little bit about them. But it starts in this way. Isaiah chapter six, verse one says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And I wanna tell you right there, just that phrase is powerful. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah was the ruler and in him, Isaiah had confidence. And it was in the year that he died that, that the one that, he, that, that Isaiah had been placing his confidence in, he's gone, Uzziah is gone. I saw the Lord. And I believe that there's a very, very simple principle that's wrapped up in this. It's often in our times of loss that we look up. I say that honestly with a very heavy heart. Because I know a lot of us experience a lot of loss in a lot of different ways. There's some that there's just loss right now that's so fresh and raw in your life. But the scripture says that in the year of my loss, I saw the Lord. And I've experienced this myself and I've heard many others say, you know, if we're gonna experience pain, Let's make that pain worth something. Let's allow that pain to lead us to something that's lasting. And if in, the, if in the midst of our loss, we see the Lord, there's nothing greater. And that's exactly what Isaiah declares. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. 
I've tried to envision this over and over again, and sometimes I feel like there's, uh, I can sense it a little bit, but I want you to just again hear what is happening. That when he sees the Lord, he describes what he saw, and he sees the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, for us, the train of his robe may not make a lot of sense, but, but in royalty, the, the length in that, of that robe has, or of that train is significant. Because the longer that train, the more glory and splendor is represented. And the longer the train, the more majesty and authority are proclaimed. And when he sees the Lord high and seated up, the train of his robe fills the temple. There is no limit to his majesty. There is no limit to his splendor. There is no limit to his authority. And Isaiah is like beholding the Lord God Almighty. And then there are these seraphim. I mean, I, again, I can't, I can't imagine this, but six wings, two covering eyes, two covering feet, and then flying with two. And listen to what they're doing. They're proclaiming praise. They're singing these songs. And they're calling to one another. And like this really reinforces like what we are to do as we gather together in worship, that we are to proclaim the praise and the majesty of our Lord God. And we do. And as God does, as we do that, God does something among us. But listen to what they're, they're proclaiming. They're saying to each other and calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I think I've misread this sometimes because I think it's the presence of God that's shaking the room, but it says as a result of this, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. The praise of God, the exaltation of his majesty just overwhelmed that space. And then we have Isaiah's response. To behold the glory of God How does Isaiah respond? Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we really see God for who he is, we are brought low. I'm ruined. We see our failings. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And I've wondered why, why lips? Why, why is, it, is it about the speech? Well, I think that might have something to do with out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And I believe his heart was being laid bare before the Lord God Almighty. And it's just, uh, I'm done, I'm ruined. That's Isaiah's response. Now look at God's response. Verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. Okay, that's scary to me. <laughs> live coal, you know what that means. Hot, okay. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tong- with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. when we become vulnerable and open before the Lord God Almighty and we confess our fault, God says, I gotcha. I'm not here to rub you into the ground and to condemn you for your sin. I'm here to bring you cleansing. I'm here to bring you forgiveness. I'm here to bring you wholeness. And the seraphim declares, 
It's done. It's taken care of. You're good with God. And when you're good with God, it's good. So God's response was forgiveness. I believe this clearly points in, in a prophetic way to the work of Christ on the cross. Because when we receive from God his provision for the forgiveness of our sins, we are clean, we are forgiven, we are pure, we are holy, we're good with God. We must receive his provision. But what happens when Isaiah is in this place, he sees the glory of God, he casts himself before God, and God touches him, he starts to hear something. And whether this was said before or not, we don't know. But it says, after he was touched with that live coal from the altar, in verse eight it says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now we don't know if that was, that maybe, maybe that had been said all along and he just didn't hear it. And that it doesn't seem to be a direct request saying, Isaiah, will you go? The Lord's calling out saying, who? Who is available? Who will go for me? And in that moment, the cleansed vessel, Isaiah, says, me, here I am, you can send me. Here am I, send me. God, may that be our prayer. Moment by moment, throughout our lives, Lord, here I am, send me. And you notice he didn't say, God, tell me a little bit about it first. Give me a little description. What does this, if I volunteer, what's it mean? Does it mean grace kids? <laughs> no, he's just saying, you know, in the presence of God, when, when we realize the greatness of our God and what he has done for us, we're just available. We know that he, he's got us. We know that he loves us. We know that he is for us. He is not against us. We just say here, right here, me. You can send me. And now we're coming up on the prophecy. Because what God says next is very hard. So many times I've looked at this passage and I've read it and I've shared it and I've stopped at verse eight. Because the beauty is goodness of God, badness of man, healing of man, forgiveness of man, availability of man. And that's a great process, it really is. But I want you to hear what God says. When Isaiah says, here I am, verse nine, God says, go and tell this people, and here's what you're to tell these people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. What kind of assignment is that? And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I mean like really. God, I just said yes to you, and what do you want me to do? Uh, just tell them that they see, but they can't see. They hear, but they can't hear. Okay? And it goes on. I mean, this is God's instruction to the prophet Isaiah in this incredible moment. Make the heart of this people calloused make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, 
and turn and be healed. Okay, honestly, this is confusing. Honestly. Because God's saying, go tell them that you're hearing me, but you don't hear. You're seeing, but you don't see. You're blind. And then just keep telling them that. Make the heart of the people calloused. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. You know, I just wonder, like, in that moment, even in the presence of God, like, what happened in Isaiah's heart? It's like, wow, didn't expect that. Like, and, and even there's something as we read this, like, you can start to question the heart of God. It's like, wait, you know, you want people to turn? You want people to be calloused? As Ben and I were talking about this the other day, you know, I really appreciate what Ben said. He said about, it says that, that again, make the heart of this people calloused. Now, how do you get a callous? It's a bunch of rubbing, right? Keep rubbing. It's a blister. Blister breaks. Keep rubbing. Another blister. And then the skin gets tougher and tougher and tougher until there's a callus, and then you can stick a needle in and you don't feel it, right? Like, so that, that callus comes from this over and over and over again. And it seems like God's saying, Isaiah, keep rubbing the people with this message until they, they can't feel. And really, I mean, that's what happens. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes. It doesn't sound, I gotta be so careful in saying this. It doesn't sound like God wants them to get it. Like, like, you know, what happened to free will and the opportunity to decide when these people don't seem to have a choice? But here's the thing is that, that God never removes, us, removes free will from us. And he never removed or stops being sovereign over all things. Somehow God's sovereignty, his rule and reign over, over everything and our free will don't clash. I really believe that. I think they work together. And the reality is that God can take our acceptance of him or his denial of him and use it for his purposes. Okay, we need to understand this. Is that God can take, it doesn't mean he wants us to deny, but he knows our hearts. He knows how we're gonna respond. You know, and God knew that, the, that, that Israel was gonna respond this way. So he can take, again, our acceptance of him or, his, or our denial of him and use it for his purposes. We're gonna unpack this a little bit more because I think this actually gives explanation because Isaiah says, okay, I'll do it. How long? Literally. I mean, Isaiah asked that question. Verse 11, for how long, Lord? And God said, okay, I'll tell you how long. Here it is. Keep doing this until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So God's saying you have a hard and a long commission. Keep doing this until everything gets wasted away. Keep doing this until all the bad things that people don't want to happen. Keep doing it until all that bad stuff happens. But I want to tell you this. In that stump that's left is a holy seed. So like how does that relate to our lives? Because honestly, this is not, okay, this is not the good gospel message that I expect to hear on a Sunday morning at Grace. And it is. 
Because this prophecy was given concerning Christ. This prophecy is what Isaiah lived out. And this prophecy is a word for you and me this morning. And a significant word in this prophecy is this, is that God's gonna declare who he is and he's gonna proclaim his goodness. He's gonna, but yet, it's gonna be rejected. And what happens, it keeps getting rejected until this stuff here is gone enough that we'll look up and we'll receive. I mean, this whole process is removing our dependency on the things of this earth so that we'll see that our dependency is in him. And I really believe that holy seed that remains that's in that stump is certainly talking about a remnant of Israel. I really believe it's prophetic of Christ. That Israel's constant rejection, Israel's rejection is even necessary. God knew that Israel would respond the way they did because it was necessary that Christ die. God knew that, that, the peop- that the people, the Jews in Jesus' day would keep rejecting him even to the point of his death because his death had been prophesied and needed to happen. And as, as we said before, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down. And God uses people even that deny him to accomplish his purposes. So this call <laughs> is for us to be available for us in the presence of God to just say, God, do whatever you wanna do and whether I see results or not, I'm gonna keep doing it because you have said it. I'm gonna be faithful because you are faithful. I'm gonna keep pressing on. I'm gonna keep walking in obedience because you are worthy. This is my worship. I'm a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God because of the work of Christ. Now just do in and through my life whatever you want, whether I see results or not. And Jesus, again, is not, you know, he's not saying you guys do this, I won't. No, Jesus is saying, I'm doing this, I need you to do it the way, the way I'm calling you to. I mean, this is a very, very hard call, and it's amazing, absolutely amazing, because God is desiring for us to get our eyes off of us and our focus off of this life so that we will look at the eternal and say, no matter what, I've seen God. I'm going forward with him, I know he wins. Come Friday night, we're gonna, we're gonna sing and worship around victory. I know that he wins, and I wanna be a victor with him. So I need to say, here I am, God. You give me a hard message, and it's a message you promised me that people are gonna reject. If I'm called to give that message, I need to give it. And this was a message that, honestly, I wasn't real thrilled about unpacking this, but I felt God said, unpack it. And I hope I heard from him. I hope we all hear from him. We go back to John chapter 12 now. So what John has just said is that these prophecies of Isaiah are fulfilled in Christ. That though people hear, they reject. Though they have ears, they do not hear. Though they have eyes, they do not see. Though they have hearts, those hearts are hardened. John's saying these prophecies are fulfilled in Christ. And then he gives like here specific examples. When we go to John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43, it says, nevertheless, Many even of the authorities believed in him. Love to stop there. Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Painful verse. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is a sad indictment against them. It's a sad indictment against us as humanity 
because so often I care more about what you think than what, about he think, what, what, what he thinks. And we can allow our fear of people and the way that we're perceived to become something that paralyzes and hinders us. They love the glory, the praise of man more than the glory of God. May it not be said of us. May the glory of God be our, our desire. May we not be fearful of what anybody thinks for a proclamation of faith. May we only care that God is glorified, that he is lifted up. A world needs committed Christians that are set on the glory of God regardless of the cost. So Jesus is revealed to mankind. We must faithfully share him. This is our commission. And finally, for the last verses, we're actually gonna go back to the last couple verses from last week. We're gonna go to John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. The end of the passage from last week, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. In this, in this passage, we see that Jesus is light. Man must believe now, and this is our urgency. Jesus is the light. Man must believe now, and this is our urgency. Jesus was talking about his earthly ministry was coming to a close. Literally, you can start counting the, the hours. What he's saying is this. I'm here for a little while longer. While you walk with me, while you have the light, because the darkness, lest the darkness overtake you. Jesus has died, has resurrected, has gone to the Father. And he is now present in us who are believers. Matthew, he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they would see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. You know, there was a window of opportunity where Jesus was talking about himself being present. That window was closing. And he's saying, the light is, I'm the only way to overcome darkness. Now that Jesus again has ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father and he calls us to be his light. We are the light that is shining his presence in us, his glory in us, his goodness and his word, his gospel in us. And you know what? This light will be leaving the earth soon. There's a window that is closing. And he's saying, we need to shine. We need to shine now. We need to take advantage of every day that we're given. We need to allow ourselves to be used of God because you know what, we've never been closer to the end than we are in this moment. This isn't, this isn't, should not be a burden, it should be a joy for us that we receive this, that, that he is sending us out. There is this urgency that we need to share him. We need to be so filled with his presence that as we go through this life, we are shining, we're shining, we're shining, we're doing good and we're pointing to him. 
Because the reality is that we are so fortunate, we who have the light, because the darkness will not overcome us, but there is a world full of darkness that is being overcome right now. And it's Christ in you. It's Christ in you that this world needs. Will we shine? Will we call people to belief? And whether or not they accept, will we be faithful to keep calling? For how long, Lord? As long as we are breathing, will we be, will we be faithful to keep proclaiming? Even if they, are, they deny it, will we see that God is even working a process in their lives that as they're denying, God's giving them an opportunity to come to the end of themselves? And will we keep sharing? Will we keep sharing? Will we keep loving? Will we keep giving? Will we keep shining? We have this opportunity to participate with Jesus in this amazing way. So I want to follow up on the two stories that we talked about at the beginning. We left the rich young ruler leaving Jesus sad because he had great wealth. What happened after that? I don't know. I mean, there's a hope in my heart that that initial shock <laughs> became a seed that led to conviction and possibly later he followed up and said, yes, Lord, here I am. There is that possibility that rich young ruler sold everything, gave to the poor and became a follower of Christ. We don't know that. But there's a possibility because Christ's desire was for his salvation. I want to follow up about the young lady. We had that hard conversation about it being hard to follow Jesus. And she didn't turn right away. Lifestyle didn't change for a while. But she started moving closer to Jesus. And I can declare to you this day she has chosen the hard thing and said, Jesus is my Savior, He's my Lord. She right now is the mother of two beautiful young children. She's a cancer survivor. Has gone through some of the most horrendous trials and has stayed faithful to Jesus because she knows that he's faithful to her. And through her struggles, through the hard, even as a Christian, it's not like it's just hard at the beginning. No, life is hard. Jesus promised that. But she has proclaimed Jesus. She has shined as a light and her testimony points to him. Oh, and her husband is now a pastor. God can do in our lives what only he can do. And we need him more than we need anything else. So I do want to give this invitation now. It's a two-part invitation. The first is to anyone who is hearing here in this room or online. If Jesus is not your Savior, please hear his call. God, we just pray together, Lord, that eyes that are blind would see. We pray that ears that are deaf would hear. We pray that hearts that are hard would be softened. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Your sin, the penalty for your sin is death. And Jesus said, I take that on myself. 
When he died on the cross, it was for you. It was for your sin. He paid that penalty. And he rose victorious from the dead because in him we have victory. And this, it's a prayer, but it's more than a prayer. It's a life change because when we accept what he has done for us, we declare that he is Savior. We believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead. It's a life change. We move from darkness to light. We become sons of light, daughters of light. God is desiring to give you that eternal life right now. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you will be saved. For those of us who have already embraced this wonderful gift of salvation, I want to invite us together to seek the Lord Say, God, reveal to me your glory in such a way that I just say, I'm a vessel that will be faithful to you. You know, I guess I didn't even realize till this moment these two invitations are the same. It's leading us to this place where we simply respond, here I am. So God, we thank you for your word. It's powerful, it's alive, it's active, pierces the depths of us. Now we thank you for your spirit, you are faithful to speak. And we thank you that you are calling to each and every one of us right now. God, help us to hear your voice. God, for those that that need to be saved. They're not in relationship with you yet. They have not applied your life to their life. They have not been transformed and, and been brought from death to life. Even now, we pray for resurrection. God, for those of us who are yours already, now first of all, we celebrate for those that are becoming yours today. And secondly, Lord, we, uh, we just want to see you afresh your glory and your splendor, your might, your power. And present ourselves, say, here, here we are. God, have your way in us. May we be mouthpieces that proclaim your word. May we be lights that shine in this dark world. Just have your way in us. What I'd like us to do is just sit with him for a few moments and um, prayer partners, uh, those that serve afterwards uh, if you wouldn't come up now and just be available we want to uh, just give you an opportunity to just be with him let him speak to you I want to encourage you to listen closely and the best answer we can possibly give is yes Lord here I am. So just again, allow God to minister to you and to speak to you and minister, give a chance for you to minister back to him. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.